All right, welcome in to a special edition. We're going to call this the Sweet 16 edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is Griffin Warner. Griffin, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Best time of the year. Um, really pumped for what seems to me like a really competitive Sweet 16. Um, I feel like you could make a lot of arguments for a lot of teams winning this thing, and that's what we're looking for. Well, I, you know, obviously I did the uh, the mega dream pod last night on this very feed. Uh, gave a lot of my thoughts on all the games, but I thought, man, it'd sure be nice if the people had some of Griffin's thought. Maybe we'd have some back and forth on these games. Uh, see if you can change my mind or, or I can change yours or, or what. What was your your biggest takeaway from the first two rounds? Was there anything that surprised you? Uh, was there anything that you you know you called to to the T? What what how did how did the first two rounds treat you? Um, I think all right, not as as good betting wise. I think as I said right before we started, before I hit the record button, uh, unfortunately, I did a really poor job of selecting which first halves versus full games to play. That resulted in an Auburn collapse. Um, also resulted in an Arkansas comeback victory, a miraculous Penn State comeback cover. Um, unfortunately those were not great. I had some really good calls. My brackets are doing awesome, which unfortunately means a lot less than the, uh, individual bets. But in terms of takeaways that aren't so me focused, uh, very surprised by, um, Arizona going out to Princeton and then somehow Princeton following that up and, and getting another win, uh, very happy for them, I guess. And I love chaos, but, um, was surprised also by Purdue losing, um, just a lot of just teams that we felt like had some flaws were Arizona had some weird losses this year and, and got another one. Um, and Princeton didn't even play that well in that first and, round. And yeah. Arizona was so banged up going into that game. Like we talked about Balo playing with a broken hand and uh, Chris shooting free throws left-handed because his shoulder was so jacked up. And then we're like, wow, what a surprise that they lost. <laughs> I, it, like in hindsight, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not that shocking. Yeah, and especially, um, I mean, Kirk Reza just transferring today. Didn't expect that to see that coming. Like, it's it's weird. There's going to be a lot of portal stuff. I mean, we saw with Eddie Lampkin, like, quitting the TCU basketball team after being what I thought was kicked off the team, but who knows. And then, really, Gonzaga having no one to defend Timmy down low, but somehow still with a miracle nearly cover at the end until that crazy three-point shot, which everyone, I was at the Denver Regional, everyone was talking about that. None of nothing about who won the games or anything like that, but just that miracle shot by Damian Baugh to cover the spread at the buzzer. Um, it's I, I still disgusting, think, by the way. Disgusting. Yeah. Uh my <laughs> my friend uh, who I was with has was saving up for some wedding uh monies, and unfortunately those are no longer in the account. So um tough, tough draw. But I mean, I, it's gonna be a great tournament. I feel like it's already delivered. That first run on Thursday afternoon. Uh, was awesome and I'm really looking forward to what I feel like are some really close games that could go either way yeah it's, it's funny I'll, I'll just quickly hit on the Kirk Chris thing that you mentioned I I feel like there's zero chance he ends up at a, a program better than Arizona sure. uh, because he sucks too much to be at Arizona sure. as it is I I would bet money right now he ends up at Xavier with Sean Miller like that seems like where he like he seems more like a Sean Miller guy than a Lloyd guy. And I think that's why he's, he's moving on would be, that's my best guess. Uh, but uh, I digress. All right, let's get into some of these matchups for this week. And I guess we'll go rotation order. Uh, Tennessee and Florida Atlantic is the opener for this weekend. And 
I guess let's uh, I'll, I'll give the the current lines. Uh, this one has moved about quite a bit. Uh, there was fours for a while. Now we're sitting at Tennessee minus five and a half. Is it getting out of range for Tennessee? Is Tennessee? I mean, I know Tennessee's not a team I love to play as a favorite anyway. Uh, what do you see deciding this matchup? Uh, FAU, I thought. Um, stole the Memphis game. I don't know if we want to blame the refs for not giving a timeout, but that, I guess that was more of a toss up, but credit them. And then of course they already knew they were playing 16 seeds. So that was great. Um, I think one of my biggest takeaways also to answer your first question, this, this uh, tournament was seeing some really good gaudy stats from lower major or mid major schools that weren't able to replicate that against the defense's the athletes that they were playing against the big schools. That's a big concern for me in this matchup specifically is, is FAU trying to take what is a one in four out offense. Uh, they're seven foot one center golden is not going to be as big in this game compared to the Tennessee front line. Certainly if FAU can shoot threes and, and shoot score efficiently from the perimeter, they could beat this Tennessee team. Um, I don't think it's a very likely thing to happen though. I think this is a, a great run in the sweet 16 for a CUSA club that probably deserved a better seed and, and got through and got the fortune that they needed. Uh, I think Tennessee, I mean, I'm, I'm not in love with Tennessee, I'll admit, but I feel like they're in a great seed or a great region to go win the whole thing, and get to the final four. You know, you mentioned uh, Golden and he's their only big and obviously Tennessee's got a few of them, Plavsic and and but my thought on this game was from a matchup standpoint, like you said, if FAU plays four out and their next biggest starter after Golden, who's a giant, is six foot four. So my thought was who on the other end of the court defends Kamwa? Like he single-handedly dismantled Duke. I, I mean, he was a, a real matchup problem. I don't know who defends him for Florida Atlantic, and and it, I guess if they move Golden over to him, they've they've got you know other bigs who are going to be an even bigger mismatch. But uh, and I guess like the idea that Kamwa can can you know take his shot outside makes more sense to not put Golden on him. But like, do you see a way that they defend Tennessee around the rim? Uh, I do not. So I think, and I think they also have to protect Golden quite a bit. I mean, they do have backup in Giancarlo Rosado. I can't say I know a ton about his game, but his stats are nice. Um, I feel like if there's ever a time to zone a team, it is this Tennessee squad. It's going to be tough to off to prevent offensive rebounds, of course. Uh, but and then even if Dusty May doesn't really play one, I feel like if there's ever a time to try to practice it for a week that you have to prepare, throw something at Rick Barnes, see if it works. If it doesn't go back to your man to man and hopefully save some time without your big guys getting in foul trouble. Yeah, I don't think I'll have a bet on this. I, pr- I probably should have played it at four uh, at five and a half. I'm, I'm probably just going to sit and watch. Uh, but I do think Tennessee advances here. All right, let's look at Sparty and Kansas State, two teams I'm certainly surprised to see here. Uh, if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have said, no, neither one of these guys. And here they are. Uh, Sparty, I got to give them credit. They forced Marquette into about as much of a nightmare start as you could have asked. They let Marquette get back in it, and then they locked down in the last couple minutes. And then Kansas State coming off a big win over Kentucky – and really could have been a bigger win over Kentucky uh, had it not been for you know Kentucky's offense, which is Oscar Shibway gets second chances, 19 offensive rebounds. Kansas State is not, go- or excuse me, Michigan State's not going to be able to do that. 
what are your thoughts on how this matchup plays out? Do you think that, uh, it, it, by the way, Kansas State, an underdog here, which is a surprise to me as well. Kansas State looking at plus one and a half, plus twos out there. What do you think of the line and, and how do you think these two teams match up? Uh, I'm a little disappointed that Michigan State moved to a favorite. I was hoping to back them as an underdog here. Uh, I really like the Michigan State setup against Marquette, kicking myself pretty much all day Sunday for not playing it, uh, especially seeing Michigan State go eliminate one of the hottest teams in basketball with one three-pointer made in like the majority of the game that mattered. Uh, I mean, incredible performance. I think Marquette certainly weren't at full strength either. Um, and that certainly can speak. It looked like Col- like I, I, I hate to accuse right. kids, but boy, it sure felt like Kolick was like point shaving or something. Maybe he was really, really hurt, but oh hurt, his hand, hurt his That's hand, hurt his hand. He's played all year. Yeah. Hurt his hand in practice before the P- Vermont game, which, uh, was a very misleading final of any, uh, but I was like, you know, if Marquette can, can go from being really close to to Vermont, win by over twenty points or whatever the final score was, I felt like I was like, man, they might turn it on against Michigan State. But ultimately, I thought Michigan State would be a tough matchup. Uh, I actually was involved and in, in bet Kentucky, which I feel like, if not for some phantom foul calls on Marquise Noel, um, I think Kentucky wins that game. But it was too close of a game; shouldn't have ever been that close. And Kentucky, I think, showed what the problems with John Calipari are really right now is that he just doesn't have the talent that he used to Um, credit Jerome Tang. He's awesome. Uh, I feel like he might've missed his chance to get the Texas job because Ronnie, Ronnie Terry can't stop winning, but I'm very interested in backing Michigan state in this matchup. I got to say. My question would be, and and I I like what you said about Michigan State shooting poorly and still getting a, a, a nice win there. They're seven of 30 in the first two games. Kansas State, obviously a very good three-point defense. Uh, like, Do you expect Michigan State to get hot? And can Michigan State keep winning if they don't start dropping some threes in? Uh, it's hard for anybody to win without threes, but I feel like Michigan State has always been kind of hesitant to shoot the three and tries to build their offense in other places. So I don't think that's the worst type of situation for them uh, because they're used to kind of, I think, downplaying how good they are at threes. Um I don't really believe in Kansas state. I haven't for a little while. It's not gone perfectly for me this season. I'll admit. Um, but I, I don't see K state with a, a front line. that can do much to defend Michigan state either, which I think is a little bit underrated. Uh, Marquise Noel was really good from getting the line. I felt in that Kentucky game. Um, he's been short on his long threes for months now. I feel like he had a great performance. I doubt he follows that up. And I feel like there's, um, uh, so also like the Keontae Johnson love, like he's got a great three point percentage, but he really wants to fake a three point shot and dri- dribble in and, and take an uncontested long two. And I just feel like that strategy doesn't make sense. Tomlin's always in foul trouble. I feel like there's a lot of uh, potential potholes for K state. And I feel like they're living on borrowed time. All right. Well, I was leaning to K state. This is, I think <laughs> you've done enough. It's all right, man. That's what it's here for. Uh, it, the other thought I had was, Boy, I mean, Michigan State, the last Big Ten team standing. Like, mm-hmm. if I have a chance to fade the Big Ten, I'm, that's it's the first thing I was looking to do. Fade, fade the last Big Ten team, fade the last ACC team was my thought on this. Uh, but maybe I will uh, be a bystander once again. All right, let's look at a game that I, I actually have a stronger opinion on. I'm curious which side you fall on. Uh, UConn, mm. four-point favorites against Arkansas. And this is dipped back and forth. Uh, There was actually a three offshore for a little while, uh, and it's fluctuated between three and a half and four. 
since. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Huskies? And like you said, I think you I think you were a little doubt uh, a little doubting on Arkansas's like the fact that they're even here still. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like Arkansas were a team for me that I was trying to find ways to back and uh, did against Illinois. But I got to say the uh, the three point numbers are just terrifying. I mean, 31, excuse me, 31.3 percent, 317th in the country, according to Torvik, trying to shoot threes on 27.8 percent of possessions. I mean, it was the blueprint for Kansas in that first half, which I played Arkansas first half. I was a little worried about them trying to hang around for the full game. Jokes on me came back and won. Uh, but KU essentially said, you're not going to shoot threes. Well, we'll sink sag our defense as much as we can. Uh, it worked really well for a while. I, I still am kind of confused about how Arkansas came back and won, but I think they're a really talented team. I think Muss is awesome. He's the one that has basically been like, guys, we can't shoot threes. We have to take some of the lowest percentage of three-point shots as part of our offense in the country. That's worked. It's got them here. Um, I am still like trying to figure out ways to make myself interested in Arkansas getting more than a possession, and I really haven't gotten there just because if Connecticut makes threes, I don't think Arkansas can keep up. I do think that Arkansas will give Sonogo and Klingon problems inside. I think the Mitchell twins are awesome defensively. Um, but I also have a little bit of concern. If that doesn't work, then Connecticut can score at will. Um, hard to say that against a great Arkansas defense. I just there's I think this is going to be a great game. Um, I'm hesitant to back Connecticut. I think I'm glad it's not a two-point line because then I'd really be considering UConn. Uh, for now, it's a watch for me. Uh, I bet UConn at three. Mm-hmm. Um, good, good I, I'd, I'd still probably like them at four. Uh, I just, I, I'm kind of with you. The fact that they can't shoot threes and it's funny. We said it's hard to win when you can't shoot threes. I think it's even harder to win against UConn when you can't shoot threes, because now your option becomes go inside against Klingon and Sonogo and try and score on those guys. I, I don't think that's going to be easy. Uh, and I also see the hogs as a team kind of ill-equipped to deal with the offensive rebounding of UConn. Like you said, it won't be easy for UConn to score, but I think they'll get lots of second chances. Uh, They're obviously elite on the offensive glass and Arkansas is just an average rebounding team. I think if you, if you like Arkansas, I I think one like sign of hope, like I kind of like I talked about in the Michigan state game, Michigan state is a team that relies on threes. They've shot terribly yet. They've somehow still won two games. Like Arkansas has these two lottery picks on their roster Anthony Black and Nick Smith Jr. And they've both been absolutely terrible in this tournament. And here they are in the Sweet 16. So if your two best players are like have combined for 22 points on nine of 32 shooting in two games, and you're still in the Sweet 16, like maybe the thought is those guys can get hot. Or maybe the other side of that coin is these are freshmen and often freshmen struggle in the tournament. And these are guys who are, especially against a, a team like UConn, could, you could see struggling even more uh, as this thing goes on. So uh, I th- I do think it's an interesting matchup, but I, I'm certainly on the side of the Huskies here. Yeah, it's just hard for me to back Arkansas. I think speaking of those two players, plus also Jordan Walsh, I mean, three potential lottery picks on the same team in the same starting lineup potentially or a sixth man. Um, that's, uh, I think, a pretty good indicator of why Arkansas is still in this event right now, despite that three-point shooting. If they could shoot threes, I feel like they could win this whole thing, but they've clearly proven they cannot. All right. I don't know if if you have a best bet for this pod, but uh, I'll assume that you do or you can give one. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll go ahead and give one now, and it'll be for the last game uh, of the day on Thursday. 
I love Gonzaga catching a couple points here. I don't really understand this, that why UCLA is a two-point favorite here. Gonzaga's playing their best ball of the season, and like these injuries for UCLA are really kind of stacking up. It's one thing to be without Jalen Clark. We knew he was done for the year, but he's he's their best wing defender. Uh, Bona was on a minutes restriction against Northwestern. He didn't look himself, which isn't ideal when you're about to face Drew Timmy, who is nuclear at the moment. And then they lose David Singleton to a gnarly ankle. And they, he's like, I'll probably be ready to go. Like his his foot touched his calf. How are you going to be ready to go? Like that, that was gross. Uh, so I don't know with, with no Clark and let's say at minimum a hobbled singleton who defends julian straw there and that be, i think that's a real issue when you've got two guys offensively who can kill you in timmy and straw there and not that gonzaga doesn't have more options i mean they're the best offense in the country everybody on that team can score but the two best options are both going up against either you know backup defenders or hobbled defenders it feels like there's a lot of a lot of ways for Gonzaga to score here. Uh, UCLA didn't look great against Northwestern, and Northwestern didn't shoot the ball well at all. And I, I started thinking about the teams in the Pac-12 that play like Gonzaga, and it really, it's Arizona. Arizona is a less talented version of the Zags. You know, obviously the the coaching tree. It, that's that's how like he wanted to make uh, Gonzaga South. And UCLA went one and two against Arizona this year. I, I my best bet is going to be Gonzaga plus two here. What do you what do you think of this matchup? I I mean I like the underdog here. Whoever it would have been, uh, I think I was expecting it might even be UCLA despite the two seed. I did too, honestly, with the injuries. My my guess was pick them now that I look at it, but I was kind of expecting Gonzaga potentially. I mean they've been clearly the better performing team um, over the over the years, and they've been such a great program that. Um, I went to the the Denver regional, as I said, um, Timmy was absolutely unstoppable and, and forgive me, but I don't really see Bona as a, especially with an injury concern at all. Uh, I don't really see him as anyone. I don't know who can stop Drew Timmy. I certainly don't think a freshman will, nor will Nuba or Etienne behind him. I mean, there's a lot of bodies and fouls to use, but that's even better for Drew Timmy because that means yep. he's going to go, and, go inside more and try to get to the free throw line. Um, I don't know that I trust I think my biggest concerns, and we've talked about it on the podcast all season, is just like the surrounding cast, supporting cast for for Drew Timmy. Um, they're pretty limited in a lot of positions. I don't know necessarily that UCLA can take advantage of that. Um, the three-point numbers are incredible for a lot of the Gonzaga guards. Part of me thinks that's the competition. Uh, but I don't know who from UCLA you can trust to shoot threes. David Singleton usually is that marksman. If he's not perfectly healthy, he's still a, a bit player off the bench, it feels like to me a lot of the time. I mean, maybe playing some more minutes this year. But Well, with, when Clark got hurt, he got moved into the starting lineup. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, if they're potentially down or at least with banged up two of their five starters and then really four because Clark's not available anymore, uh, like Tiger Campbell, I mean, good player for sure. Great floor general. I like him as an underdog, not as a favorite here. And Jaime Jaquez, as great as he is, those long twos really don't add up as good shots in this type of game. Um, to still don't see him as a three-point shooter or a threat in that area. Um, maybe Gonzaga has some trouble guarding him because they have Strother Watson and maybe Hunter Salas is their only real size wise guys that could kind of match up with them. But um, I was a little surprised to see the move to UCLA minus two. It's now come down to one and a half from what I'm seeing right now. 
But uh, I think the the wrong team is, is, I think, expected to win this game. You could say wrong team favorite, if you will. So I, I lean to Gonzaga as well. All right, let's take a look at the Friday games, and we'll start with the Cougs. Houston minus seven uh, against Miami, and both these teams overcame a lot to get here. Drake was 92% with four minutes left against Miami, mm. and the Canes outscored them 16-1 to one to finish the game. Uh, says the person who was on Drake plus the points. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, kick me in the balls. Uh, Houston was down double digits against Auburn at halftime. They outscored the Tigers by 27. I remember in the that second well. half. <laughs> Were you on the wrong side of that? I one? was on Auburn. Yes, I was. Uh, but I, it feels like in that game, and I, I think if you're a Cougs guy, the most positive sign you got was the health of Marcus Sasser. Uh, like if there were any questions and I feel like after the first game, there had to be questions of oh, yeah. what, what you were going to get from him. But then he came out and basically just torched Auburn, uh, tw- 22 points, five of nine from three. It seems like he's going to be okay. Uh, Miami bullied Indiana in a way that I don't see that they can bully the Cougs. Uh, Miami was getting whatever they wanted in the paint. They were plus 17 on the boards. Houston is a top five defense. You're not going to get what you want in the paint against them. They're top three against two-point shots. And they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. And I I started looking into what Miami does when they win and when they lose the rebounding battle. And this may surprise you. They they win the rebounding battle a lot. They are 21-1 and when they win or they're even on the glass. My, they are two and five when they lose the rebounding battle. And I don't know that I can picture a world where they beat Houston on the glass. Houston's plus seven and a half in rebounds per game. They're a top five rebounding rate team in the country. I don't see a path necessarily for Miami. What, what do you see in this matchup? And obviously the fact that you faded Houston in round two, how much of that was because of Sasser's question marks? And how much of it do you think this Houston team is is maybe a little vulnerable? Uh, a fair amount of wondering about Sasser and seeing how incapable, inept Houston was without him in what felt like the uh, the opening, or excuse me, the final in the AAC against Memphis, but also in the opening round, they didn't look great either. And then fast forward, they're down 10 at the half and uh, in a game where I usually play the half first half underdogs, but I, I played full game because I thought the Birmingham would be a big advantage, especially in the second half for Auburn. Uh, potentially trying to come back and cause some problems for Houston. Well, that flipped. Um, I it's it's hard to see a path. I I, I was all over Miami against Indiana. Um, didn't play them in the first game because I really just wasn't sure about Norchad Omir, and and I guess it would have been a lucky win. But I don't really like lucky wins because they don't really represent a, a good play in general. I feel like uh, unlucky. It beats loss. an unlucky loss. <laughs> it does, but I feel like the unlucky loss is you feel like you you made the right call. Um, of course, I will always take a bailout, like the like I was a a, a giant bank. But uh, ultimately, I think my concern with Miami is that if you're playing them here, I think they can certainly stay within seven points. It's a big number, uh, but I think that's the market saying there's a pretty low likelihood of Miami winning this game. Uh, I think Miami's going to be shooting a ton of perimeter shots, and that's going to be their way to win this game. There's a lot of variance there. Um, the way I see it is Miami shoot a lot of threes, they can win. If Houston shoots a lot of threes, they can blow Miami out. If neither of these teams shoot well from the perimeter, Houston probably wins and covers. So 
I, I think it's a a low probability event that Miami gets this win. Uh, they could certainly hang around. I still think that their guards are some of the best in the country. They're going to have to be a lot better than Houston, outplay them in a way in order to win this game that I just don't know necessarily they can hang on the glass. And I think that's going to be too problematic because every Houston missed shot is basically like adding the, a, a good chance they're getting a layup to the next one. Yeah. All right. Let's look at, boy, I can't wait to talk to you about this game. Because I feel like you have been, I, I know it's in your DNA to be very anti-Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, money coming in on the horns, though, after it had been kind of stagnant for a little while. Uh, Texas now minus four and a half against Xavier. It really feels like Texas has, their offense has clicked uh, in a way that we haven't really seen this season with uh, DeSue, who... I mean, you could argue he's been one of the best players in the tournament or best players in the country really since the start of the Big 12 tournament. He's just been dominant. 72% shooting, 16 points, 11 rebounds per game since the Big 12 tournament started. This guy is absolutely on fire right now. And the idea that Texas thrives on turnovers and Xavier gives the ball away quite a bit uh, feels like maybe there's a path for Texas here. It doesn't feel like as bad of a draw as, as some people are saying it is, but curious your thoughts on on your horns. Yeah, um, it's been a little bit different. Usually I have very good times betting against Texas, but they've been better than I expected this year. Um, 0-2 against them in this tournament, including a crazy cover for Penn State full game, but I bet the first half, and I thought Penn State played better first half. Um UT in the in the first round against Colgate shot like 60%, I want to say, from three, something in the above 50% range. Serge Barry Rice was incredible. And then uh, it's really nice when you get a team that can have someone basically carry you and a different guy in a different way in both rounds because uh, it was Rice in the first one and Dsu in the second one, as you mentioned. Uh, I do think Xavier does have some size to throw at, at Dsu, which could be problematic. Certainly Dylan Dsu, a far better athlete than Jack Nungy at seven foot. But what? The, I know, right? <laughs> but the height does give him a little bit more time to react to get those old bones moving just because he's a little bit longer. Um, I will say coming into this tournament, I was hoping to fade Xavier. Uh, I did against Pitt, and they shot the lights out from three. It's possible because Xavier is the third best three-point shooting team right now. I feel like these numbers get very skewed by NCAA tournament performances, but I'll leave that to the side for now. Um, I think Xavier is one of the softer teams out there, doesn't play great defense. I think we know that Texas will defend. It's like the only thing you can count on, I think, from the Big 12 is, is that there's a truck stop conference and there's somewhere you can get your gas filled at loves or something like that. And you know, that they're going to defend. And I think it's going to be a big problem for Xavier. Um, I'm not looking for tickets for this one. I know a lot of the Texas fan base is, and that's a good thing because Xavier is certainly going to be there out in force. Um, but I, I think it's gonna be a great game. I think anything less than a possession, I'm looking at Texas at the current minus four. I'm not as interested just because I'm, I'm stick sticking with the idea that I don't think Xavier is a very good basketball team at, at at least at this level. I think they're great at scoring, but I don't think that's enough at this level of the tournament. You mentioned great offense and bad defense, and it's almost like a, a Walmart Gonzaga. And if you think back to early in the year, Texas blew the doors off like name brand Gonzaga. Um, and I think this is where, like what you said, the, the Big 12, like playing the Big 12 schedules just battle-tested you for these types of games. And I, I think Texas can just be so much more physical than Xavier can. Uh, it's It's got to be horns or pass for me. Although four and a half, if, like there's there are some fours out there still. Please line shop. 
Uh, four and a half probably would be out of my range, but I, I, I wouldn't mind to play it for on the horns. All right, let's look at Alabama. They are seven and a half, eight point favorites, depending where you shop against San Diego State. What do you see here with the tide? Uh, I see a team that hasn't played well and still is blowing out their opponents. Uh, helps that they're playing a 16 seed for sure. Uh, and then an, an eight seed that looked like it maybe didn't deserve that way the Maryland played in the second round. But um, I do not love the San Diego State chances. I feel like one of the mir- most miraculous covers uh, besides probably TCU, though TCU kind of deserved to cover San Diego State in that first round was incredible. They somehow covered the spread when they looked like they're going to lose for a lot of that game. I got to say, especially towards the end, looked like they're going to lose straight up, and Charleston did not even cover due to a late foul. Um, I think this is going to be a really tough situation. I love the San Diego State program. I feel like it's awesome that they're finally to this level. Mountain West hasn't won anything in a decade. It felt like, but uh, I think it's going to be a really tough situation for them. They need Alabama to continue to shoot poorly. Maybe that uh, banged up hip situation for Brandon Miller to cause some more problems. I just feel like it's going to be a really tough scenario for San Diego State to go through. Good team. I just, as always, they don't have enough offense is my concern. I I think I disagree a little here. I I kind of like this matchup for the Aztecs. I think this could play out similarly to the Tennessee Duke matchup where there's no question who the more skilled athletic team is, but sometimes there's just like a bully factor and feels like San Diego State's the kind of team that can bully you. And, you know, this is a a team of grown ass men. They they don't play freshmen. They don't play sophomores. They're all juniors and seniors, super physical. You take that physicality, uh, an elite defensive team and the experience they've got. And they're sort of a, like a knockoff version of Tennessee. And if you remember back when Tennessee played Bama, they bullied them and ha- that Bama didn't score 60 points. First time this year, Bama didn't score 60 points. And when Bama doesn't score 70 or more in a game, they're just two and four this season. And if they can make it tough on Bama to get those points, eight points just feels like a lot, especially considering that Alabama's also kind of loose with the ball. They, you know, they, they turn the ball over quite a bit. The Aztecs can force some. I, I still believe in this Alabama team, despite their, mediocre play in this tournament but i think they're going to be uncomfortable in this game and i think eight eight points is just it's too many uh to to give this san diego state team i mean it's a lot um certainly some plenty of room to lose and cover should be a much more low scoring game than alabama wants to play i have a bad feeling that san diego state's gonna just they're just gonna dare alabama to shoot threes if they go in at a 34% clip like they shot all season. I think that's a loss for San Diego state. If, and and maybe not a cover, if it goes in more than that, I think that's a really dangerous scenario, but if Alabama continues to struggle shooting, I think San Diego state can hang. I then wonder about San Diego state's offense. If they can, can really keep up Matt Bradley just really has not looked great to me in this tournament or really a lot this year, Um, but they're going to try to play a a slow pace, low scoring game. And I think that's going to play into unders or uh, an eight point point spread if you can grab it. Uh, I'm certainly going to be waiting to see how high San Diego State gets before I make a call. All right, let's take a look at Cinderella, uh, Princeton, catching 10 points against Creighton. Creighton, a team I've loved all season long. Uh, I I still think they have Final Four upside. Curious your thoughts on the Jays and how Princeton, if Princeton can somehow keep this magic going. 
I don't really see how Princeton does. I mean, they're a decent team for sure. Good Ivy League team can can certainly pull upsets as we've already seen. Uh, Creighton being a six seed, I feel like is I think we all agreed and and we were pretty on this from the beginning that six six game losing streak in the middle of the season when Kalkbrenner got mono or whatever was huge um, and it really made Creighton I, I think a, a value play. I mean, seeing them close a favorite to Baylor was saying something. Uh, bet that and then went to the game and I was a little late because I was watching the Marquette season end. But uh, when I got in there, it was never really a game um, despite a pretty good Baylor crowd and a lot of uh, fighting from Scott Drew to try to get his team going. But Crane's been awesome. They're not going to let you score inside of Kalkbrenner. If he's going to drop 31 point career highs again, I don't know how Princeton can even hang in this game, but um, certainly I think there's also something to say about the momentum wearing off when you had a week in between games possible that Princeton gives Creighton a fight. Um, Creighton's not perfect, but I do think they're really good defensively. Their offense is really great. They got a big guy that can can police the interior. And uh, I haven't really even mentioned how how potentially dynamic, dominant Ryan Nemhard could be in this one. Yeah, I, I love Creighton here. Uh, and they have been able to score wherever they wanted in this tournament. Nimhart 30 in the first game, or excuse me, in the second game, Kalkbrenner 30 in the first game. So they're scoring from inside, they're scoring from outside. And Princeton, listen, I, I don't. I'm not trying to like shit on their story. It's really cool, but they played against a, like I said, a banged up Arizona team, and a team that felt like they were playing really tight. And then they beat Mizzou, who's one of the worst defensive teams in the field. And Arizona, not a great defensive team either. I think scoring in this game is going to be very difficult for Princeton. They've they've leaned so hard on Tosan. I think he's just overmatched by Kalkbrenner, really on both ends. And it feels like they don't have a real answer outside of that. Uh, if they can't score down low, it's not a great shooting team. Uh, and I also think that, you know, Princeton playing the schedule that they played, at some point, like, it it, it catches up to you. They didn't play a Power 6 team all season long. Uh, Creighton played one of the tougher schedules in the country. They played a, a Big E schedule all year. Like this team is just so much more battle tested. They're so much more ready for this moment. Uh, I, I I like Creighton quite a bit here. I, I think they. I actually think they blow this team out. Like I think it could be like a a fifteen twenty point win for Creighton. I don't have a lot to say about that, and uh, I, I I'm hoping that it's going to be close just for entertainment value. But I feel like if there's one game, I mean the line kind of says it. But this might be the the one that we turn off pretty quickly. All right, let's uh, let's take care of some business and we'll get a best bet from you uh, to end the podcast. Sounds great. Use the promo code BUZZER20 for 20% off for all listeners to this college basketball podcast. Good for seven days from the podcast release, but don't wait. AJ and I got plays out coming out for the uh, March Madness NCAA tournament that everyone's looking for. I'm trying to get some NIT stuff out there as well during the week, uh, and I wouldn't sleep on that tournament either as that's a good one to go through. Uh, as there's definitely some winners that could be found there. Uh, but for my best bet, I'm going to go in with Michigan State. I'll lay the one and a half. Uh, I just, I, I'm not a believer in K-State. I feel like it's been a nice story so far. Drum Tang's an awesome coach. I'm not going to say anything about that. I just don't think that um, a Kansas State team that's been living on a on a prayer, in my humble opinion, I feel like they've gotten really fortunate having a, a being ridiculously overseeded and basically almost being guaranteed a, a win in the first round against Montana state. Now they get, or then they got Kentucky who just really handed the game on a silver platter. And, and I feel like the officiating was horrible and, and kept putting Marquise Noel at the line on, on shots. He was not fouled on. 
Um, but I think Michigan State is where this comes to an end. They bounce back from a pretty poor three-point shooting performance. Uh, I think they're really confident. I think Izzo's been there before, knows what he's doing. And I feel like the Michigan State team is a little bit better than you'd think. Uh, I'm not as worried about K-State. I feel like they are here, uh, and this is the last game they play of the season. So lay the one and a half on Michigan State, and that'll be my best bet for this episode. And if Kansas State wins, they'll be halfway there. Ah, ah, living on a prayer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, great work, Griffin. Appreciate your insight on all these games. Uh, and yeah, for you guys out there, enjoy the tournament. Enjoy these these last these last few moments that we've got before we've got to turn to, I don't know, like the NBA or baseball or something <laughs> else. Like the miserable life is what we're turning to. Uh, but enjoy these games and and good luck on your wagers, Griffin. Thank you as always. Great job this season, and maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll throw something together before the final four. We'll try and uh, get something out there for the people as well. Uh, thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.